Well, we need the word of the Lord, and we're so grateful that we have it. So in Luke chapter 1, uh, we're going to read uh, verses 57 through uh, 66, and then the primary emphasis for us this morning will actually be verse 80, so we'll read that as well. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. They said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. Fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Then we have Zechariah, what he says, and then verse 80. The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. Let's pray together. Father, now from these words that, uh, that we have before us, what we need to know and you want us to know, teach us. What we need to see and you want us to see, show us. And in, in all things, may Christ be exalted, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, you may be seated. You go to a uh, Christmas play or you see a nativity scene, who do you typically see? Well, of course, you'll see the baby. You'll see Joseph, you'll see Mary, see some shepherds most likely, maybe an angel, maybe some wise men. Have you ever seen John the Baptist? The interesting thing is, is that if you open up the Bible, when you start to read the story of the birth of Jesus, John the Baptist is prominently featured at the beginning of all four Gospels. For, for example, in, in Matthew... Chapter 3, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Anybody know what his message was? He used the same word. His first word is the same as Jesus' first word when he began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who the spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. And then if you flip over, if you're in Matthew and go to the next gospel, Mark, Mark actually starts with John the, the Baptist in a manner of speaking. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. And John appeared. And then we've been in the gospel of Luke and you've seen him. And then in John chapter 1, you can't hardly get started before this says, And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to bear witness about the light. He wasn't the light, but came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. To all that to say that John is important in the story of the gospel. And at Christmas time, we, we have songs about shepherds and angels and, and wise men, but I've never heard a song about John. Have you? But I think John would actually be okay with that. He would just say, why don't you just sing about Jesus? That would be, that would be best. And that, friends, is why he is great. So how would you define greatness? If you say, that person is great, what do you mean by that? Because Jesus said, 
I tell you, no one born of woman is greater than John. So, so John can help us understand what living a life of devotion looks like. Of course, John now has a unique calling on his life as the forerunner of the Messiah to, to prepare for the coming of Jesus. And, and while you and I don't have that specific mission, I think we can learn from John about a life focused and devoted on and to Christ. A life that is lived in such a way that it's great in the eyes of, of God. So in particular, we'll look at verse 80. We're going to ask four questions. What happened? Where did that happen? How did that happen? And why did it happen? So let's read verse 80 again, and then we'll, that'll be our outline, those four questions. The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. So question number one is this. What happened? What happened? Well, that's the first phrase. The child grew and became strong in spirit. That's what happened. Every child is going to grow. That's natural. Not every child is going to become strong in spirit. Now that, friends, is supernatural. Get some things that were of benefit and help to John in his life. When we say, what happened? Uh, Do you love Elizabeth and Zechariah? We talked about this Wednesday night, but if you're going to aim for greatness in life, I I think we want to learn a lesson from Zechariah and Elizabeth. If you want to aim for greatness in the eyes of God, and then if you want to raise a generation that aims for greatness in the eyes of God, we can learn a lesson here. Let's go back here to Luke chapter 1, verse 59. And before we read that verse, I'm going to ask this question. As we read it, I want you to say, what is done here that is in specific obedience to the Word of God? And then what's done that might not have that qualification? I think it'll make sense as we read it together. Verse 59, on the eighth day, they, who's the they? That's the relatives and surrounding people that had heard that Elizabeth had had a baby. They came to circumcise the child. Now, is that something that they do in response to what God has said in His Word? Yes. Yes. Circumcised on the eighth day. They would have called him Zechariah after his father. Is that something that the Bible specifically says you're to do? No, it's not. Why are they going to do that? Because that's it's tradition. Now, hang with me for a moment, and there is something in us that when it comes to the Word of God and it comes to tradition, we get them a little bit tangled up. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to mistake one for the other. Does that make sense? I mean, there are a lot of people who say, well, yeah, the Word of God, people used to keep that. That was their tradition. But those times have gone. And then on the flip side, there are some people who say, well, this is what we've always done, so therefore it's what the Lord wants us to do. And now they've inverted the, uh, the other direction. Does that make sense? They would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no. And we did this Wednesday night. We're going to do it again. On the count of three, I want everybody in the room to say the word no. One, two, three. <laughs> You're going to need to know that word and use that word if you're going to live for God's purposes in the world. 
John was blessed with parents who knew when it was time to say no. Some of us have a hard time with that word, don't we? Now, here's how it works. If you don't learn how to say no to well-meaning but ultimately ungodly counsel, you'll never know how to say yes to God. John the Baptist is going to live his whole life as someone who's going against the current. The current of other people's expectations, the other, people, other people's assumptions of what it means to live a godly life. And we've got to learn how to do that too. And one of the things that we have to learn to say no to is maybe traditions that have been interpreted to be God's Word. It's not a bad thing they've got in mind. It's just what's done. They, and look, here's their criticism. They said to her, well, none of your relatives is called by that name. I think I shared Wednesday night, and I think it's worth sharing again in my own life and to you. If you want to see God do something you've never seen him do, you can't be restricted by what's always been done. God's at work in power and in your own life. I mean, I mean in, in a way that's shaped by Scripture. You understand what I'm saying, right? And it's a little, uh, you know what it means to be passive-aggressive? A little passive-aggressive, isn't it? Well, none of you... None of your relatives is called that. But the Lord mattered, or I'm sorry, the, the name mattered to the Lord. And we'll talk about that more as we go along. What happened? The child grew. Every child grows. Man, some of, some, some of us are there right now. Can't keep them clothed. Socks don't fit. Last winter's jacket doesn't have anything to do with this winter, right? You have to keep buying new shoes, new clothes. Can't keep milk stocked in the fridge. I can almost hear Elizabeth say, we're already out of honey and locusts. You know, we just, we just, they, they grow. Children grow and they grow so fast. Now, we know John was born into a praying family. John was born into a family that longed for him, welcomed him, loved him. Just real quick, two things. If you have children in your home, may they often be prayed for and may it always be evident that they are welcomed and loved in the home. So, so just build prayer into the normal pace of your life. Man, everybody's busy. So ride to school time is prayer time. I remember when Abel was little and I'd take him to preschool and I was trying to do this. We'd get to a certain stoplight and we'd be about a minute away. And I'd say, here's our stoplight. This is when we start to pray. And we did that for a while. And one morning in particular, I was just busy or whatever. And we got to that stoplight and I, and, and I just hear this little voice from the back aren't we going to pray? And early on, early on when I say, what do you want to pray about? It was usually nothing. But then as we go on, the things the child will reveal, here's what's important to me. Two real sensitive times in a child's life is first thing in the morning and last thing at night, right? So a child needs to hear more than go to bed. I heard it so much. And then when I say this, you say, that's what everybody says. But the time goes so fast. So quick, and, you, and we want to make the best use of the, of the time. And, and then, man, one of, the, one of the real issues in our generation is that we've begun to see children as a burden and not as a blessing. The Bible says children are a heritage from the Lord. And so never stop welcoming and rejoicing that you have children in your life. 
But it's not just that John grew, it's also that he became strong in spirit. Every child grows, not every child becomes strong in spirit. One's natural, and again, one is supernatural. In fact, the real danger is that a child will grow and not become strong in spirit. A child's not born naturally dispositioned to become strong in spirit. The Bible tells us folly is actually what's bound up in the heart of a child. And apart from the grace of God, a child will grow and become strong in foolishness. Unable to be reasoned with. Insensitive to the things of God. In love with the passing and fading world. Y'all, every child's being discipled. It's just a matter of how and to what end. But here's the good news, and it's built right into John's name. You know what John's name means? Remember, uh, the angel had told uh, Zechariah, the reason they're naming him John is is, uh, because Zechariah had been told by the angel to name him John. And Zechariah's not going to repeat his mistake of saying, you know, why are we going to do that? He's already not been able to speak for nine months, right? So he writes on the tablet, right? It's obedience. His name is John, and it's when he's obedient, he begins to speak again. Unbelief makes you silent. Faith makes you a spokesperson for the things of God, right? John's been a popular name. It's John in English, Ian in Scottish, Evan in Welsh, Juan in Spanish, Sean in Irish, Deshaun in Kishon in many African uh, nations, Giovanni in Italian, Jan in Greek, Giannis in French, Ivan in Russian, and we could go, go on. But the name, however it's pronounced, what it means is the Lord is gracious. That's good news for us, isn't it? The Lord is gracious. And you think about this, he's going to be the forerunner, the forerunner of Yeshua, Jesus, the Lord saves. The forerunner is the Lord is gracious. Those are the two messages that you need to hear. Those are the messages of Christmas. The Lord is gracious and the Lord saves. And not just the message of Christmas, it's the message of Scripture, amen? The Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. Now most of us are wired and geared and taught to be great in something. In our culture, what what do you think uh, is esteemed? For greatness. If you're going to be great in our day, what does it mean? It's usually three things. Number one, physical ability or appearance. That's how you really get to be great, right? You, you, uh, you have physical strength or physical beauty, be a great athlete or be the most attractive. That's where the value is. That's where the worth is. But I want to caution you about pursuing greatness there. Do you spend more time looking in the mirror or more time looking in the mirror of God's Word. It's how you can determine whether you're pursuing the right kind of greatness or not. Do, do, you, do you pursue more discipline and skill and ability in catching a ball or hitting a ball or throwing a ball or bumping a ball or spiking a ball or, or the disciplines of prayer and fasting and knowing God through the Scripture, memorizing and meditating upon His Word, wanting to know Him the second area we're, we're just sort of wired and told to find uh, greatness is in education. Just get the most prestigious degree. Now, and then third is in wealth. More money a person has, the more worth that person has. More money, better life. But here's the deal with those three things. You have a pet peeve? What's your pet peeve? Here's my pet peeve. When you're riding on the highway and you see a sign... 
exit here, this restaurant. I'm always on the lookout for a couple of restaurants, Chick-fil-A, of course, number, number one. And then you're riding along the highway and you're hungry and you take the exit and then after you've exited, there's the follow-up sign. You don't, don't know what I mean by the follow-up sign. Yeah, that place you can get, but it's actually nine miles down the road. Drives me crazy. The worst example of this, by the way, I think we've talked about this before, is here in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. You know this? Every time I ride by this sign, I think about this. I'll be on I-95 North, about to get to up here to our exit, and it'll say North Carolina Aquarium. Exit here. Have you seen this sign? It's, it's, I'm, I'm not telling you a lie. It's the truth. Big brown sign. And I, every time I pass this sign, I think to myself, there's some, some mom or dad out there who's going from Florida to New Jersey, and the kids are haywire, and they're just like, oh, we can take an hour, two-hour break, and takes the exit. And then you come around the bend, second sign. You know what it says? North Carolina Aquarium. A hundred miles to the coast. And you pursue your value, your worth. You pursue greatness in physical ability or physical appearance or education or in money. That's how it's going to work. Just keep coming. Just keep coming. Almost there. Exit off. Got this. Oh, it's actually further and further and further and further. And here's the truth, friends. You'll never get there. You'll never be enough. Always someone who's better at the game than you are. Always someone who's more attractive than you are. Always someone who's better educated than you are. And always someone who has more money. So you got to think about it. In fact, Jeremiah put it this way. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom or the mighty man boast in his might. Or the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows and understands the Lord. That I am a God of steadfast love and mercy. That's in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Because when you pursue the Lord, he's not like that. He says, no, I am here. And I'm not going to keep moving, <laughs> moving the exit sign, so to speak. In fact, that's in large part Jesus' invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. All those who keep saying, I thought I was almost there, but I'm not quite there, and it's further on down the road. You can pursue all those things and actually get them and find you've been tricked because their actual worth is so very small. You can trade in gaining the whole world for knowing the one who created the whole world. Now, fair warning, in John's day, Does anybody know who the most physically attractive was? Who had the reputation to be the most physically attractive person in the world? Herodias. The the one who said, I want his head on a silver platter. That's who was the most attractive. Do Do you know who was the wisest, smartest, not wise, but most educated, probably the best way to say, the Pharisees. And they could stand in the very presence of Jesus and say, he's not telling the truth. And who's the wealthiest? It's Pilate. Got more stature than anybody around. Now, did Herodias triumph over John? And did Pilate triumph over Jesus? It seemed that way about that long. But man, it's such a temporary, shallow, and fleeting victory they seem to have. So question one is what happened is John grew and became strong. Growing is a passive verb, meaning it's the child is being acted upon. 
You don't have to make yourself grow, you just grow. But became strong, now that is active. That doesn't just happen. That requires some initiative. Of course, enabling by the grace of God, but becoming strong in spirit is active. Second, let's ask of this verse, where did this happen? He became strong in spirit, but where did it happen? Let's read it, it'll answer it. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness. Uh-oh. This counterculture too, isn't it? Not in the spotlight, not in the limelight, but in the light. Do you know what I mean? It's where Moses won. Uh, Moses was, rather, when God called him to lead his people. It's the kind of place David was when God anointed him as the king. It's the kind of place Joseph was when God raised him up to rule over Egypt. It's where Paul went after Jesus changed his life. I did not immediately consult with anyone, he said, but went away for three years into the desert. It's actually the same word as wilderness. All right? Who's up for some Bible truth? You ready? Who you are when no one is around is who you really are. Who you are when no one is around is who you really are. And most of us, y'all, don't know who we really are. We want to skip the wilderness and go to the public appearance. Because that's where all the cachet is, right? But I'll tell you this. One of the worst things that can happen to you is public appearance before the preparation of the wilderness. You'll burn out, give out, quit, be done. Because the adulation of the public appearance is so shallow in comparison to what you can learn about God and who He really is in the wilderness. But man, we want to uh, sort of microwave it, right? I mean, that's what our television shows are. It's just an overnight sensation. You do a little digging and that never goes well in somebody's life. When you skip the wilderness, and I'm just talking about humility and obscurity. That's where God does His work on you. In humility and obscurity. What you'll do is you'll become what you think other people expect or want you to be. We become what we think we need to be in order to be accepted, approved, or included. And your life will be restless until deep down in your soul, your sense of being accepted, included, and approved is in Christ. Look for it anywhere else. You'll always be restless. Hey, if you look for it in appearance, in education, as valuable, of course, as that can be, or in wealth, you'll be restless. By God's grace, can you esteem the work that's done in humility and obscurity? That's where God does His work. So, so who you are when no one is around is who you really are. John the Baptist is going to be so strong in spirit. I mean this in a gracious way, not in a self-centered way. He'll go through life not really concerned with what other people think about him because he's, he's strong in spirit. So who you are when no one is around is who you really are. Because once he makes his public appearance, John's going to face two of the strongest forces you can face. Number one is criticism. If you live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be criticized. And then there's the second most dangerous thing, or one of the two most dangerous things, is, is praise. In public, some are going to criticize him, question his credentials, 
and other people will think he's the greatest person ever. Now, if you think about this with me, um, John's gospel, he has to point this out. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to bear witness about the light that all might believe in him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, why would the apostle John have to say that specifically about John the Baptist, that he was not the light, if not for the fact that there were some people around then that thought he was the one they would have ultimate allegiance to. Remember Elizabeth learning to say no in the face of them and they that said, you're going to name him Zechariah. So to be strong in spirit, you have to learn to say no to the assumptions and expectations of others, not in a rude and dismissive way, but in a way that you're saying, my ultimate allegiance is unto the Lord and the clear direction he's given through his word. But John's ministry was so powerful that some people began to put their ultimate allegiance in him. That can happen. In fact, Paul has to say after he leaves Corinth, he writes in 1 Corinthians, you could read it. He said, I've heard there's some divisions among you. Because some of you say, I follow Paul, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Apollos, or, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Personalities, people's ministries. You probably got a favorite teacher. Somebody's podcast that you listen to. Just let me just give you the warning. And John would say yes to this. Be very careful about having an allegiance to a particular personality more than you do Christ. And to be strong in spirit above all things, you'll learn the discipline of being able to open up the Bible and let God speak to you through his word. Praise God for John the Baptist and Paul and Cephas and on and on. But ultimately, do you pursue the Lord? What happened? He became strong in spirit. Where did that happen? In humility and obscurity with hardly anybody else around. Third, how did it happen? We're in Luke. Would you turn with me to John chapter 3? John chapter 3. And let's let John the Baptist himself tell us how this happens. John chapter 3. You probably know verse 16, and, but we're going to get the scene after John, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus speaks with Nicodemus. In verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to them, to him rather. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness. And I said, I am not the Christ. But I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, the joy, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. 
He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of, Christ, of, of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains in him. Here's true greatness, friends, according to John, and therefore according to the Scripture. True greatness is knowing Jesus is the greatest. Amen? True greatness is knowing Jesus is the greatest. So here's how you were born. You were born with an agenda in your soul that everyone would think that you're great. And if God's grace doesn't intervene, that's how you'll die. Just saying, I am the greatest. But in the eyes of God, true greatness is when we realize he really is the greatest. And can I tell you, it's just a matter of time. If you've not done that, it's just a matter of time. Nobody is going to stand before the Lord and conclude that I am great. You will conclude that he is great. You know, the glorious thing about Christmas is that you can see that in a little baby lying in a manger. That's real greatness. And to be strong in spirit means you trade in going through life saying, i got to make myself great. You trade in that empty life for, I want to help others see how great Jesus is. And that leads us to our last question, and it's simply this. Why did that happen? Why did this happen? Well, let's go back to Luke 1 to answer that question briefly. God has something he wants us to know. We've started our service with these words, so we'll come back to them now. Luke chapter 1, verse 76. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. So I so said, how, how do you prepare the way of the Lord? To give knowledge of salvation to his people. Do you know how to be saved? Do you know how to be born again? Do you know how to... Turn your life over to the Lord. So, John, you're going to give people some knowledge. Real quick, pop quiz. What was his first word when he began to preach? Repent. Repent. That means you turn away from the direction you were going and you turn to Christ. That's what repentance is. Turning away from sin and self and to Christ. So that's the knowledge that you need. In the forgiveness of of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high you don't have to walk in darkness anymore now there's light to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace so why does this happen because God wants you to know him God wants to forgive you of your sins God wants you to know he has tender mercy towards you God wants to direct your steps and guide you into peace. Why is this happening? Because John, the Lord is gracious. So in conclusion, a couple questions, make them quick, but I think they're important because we're going to pull them from what we studied from the scripture. Number one, where are you actually pursuing greatness? If we just take inventory of your life, how you use your time and what you're devoted to, what are you going after for greatness? Second is an exhortation. 
don't despise the wilderness. Don't despise the wilderness. Don't say, why am I stuck here? Why does it seem like other people are in the spotlight? Why does it seem like other people are advancing faster than me? We just have to ask a question. Advancing faster than you unto what? So don't despise the wilderness. Seek God in it. And and then third, leverage your life. Let others see the greatness of Jesus. Now John was criticized. He was ridiculed. he He was praised. But he leveraged his life... Here's his, here's his uh, testimony. I must decrease and he will increase. And, and then last. Just praise God for his grace towards you. You will name him John. The Lord is gracious. Let's stand together. We're going to pray together. Have a time of response. and We're going to ask God to Take now what we've studied in your word, in his word rather, and bring it to bear in your life and in our church family. So let's pray together. Father, we pray a few and ask a few specific things in light of what we've seen in your word. Would you give us grace to know when to say no? In order to say yes in obedience, to say no. And, and I see here with Elizabeth and Zechariah, th- these were difficult people perhaps for them to say no to their relatives, their well-meaning, well-intentioned people who have come alongside them to rejoice with them. But tradition can be a powerful current in our lives. But, but I pray it's not what ultimately carries the decisions we make, but rather your word. So give us grace to know when we say no. Help us to make best use of the time, knowing that every child is going to grow. We'd be a church family that raises up children to grow strong in the spirit. And of course, not just for children, Lord. We pray for every man and every woman that's here, that where we're pursuing greatness is greatness in, in your eyes. For all the other meager and shallow forms of greatness are just going to pass away so quickly, so suddenly. May it be a uh, real deep down when nobody else is even around desire. You must increase. And therefore, I will decrease. In Jesus' name, amen.